Let's, stand up. Let's pray. Let's give around the word of God here this morning. Let's stand and pray, family. Father, we stand before you this morning. We thank you for this wonderful service. We thank you for your many blessings in our lives. We thank you for the word of God. As I come to teach today, I make it known that I'm not trusting or depending on limited human abilities to teach, but I'm trusting in you. Therefore, I know without doubt that you anoint my mind that I might grasp the revelation that will rise in abundance from my heart within. Thank you now for a supernatural recall of the scriptures in Jesus' name. And I believe that your word will flow from our mouth smoothly, accurately, clearly, without hindrance from anything in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, that you will enter every person's mind on the sound of my voice, bringing understanding, removing confusion, that you will enter every, that you will enter every heart on the sound of my voice, bringing faith and removing all fear in the name of Jesus. And we give you all the praise, honor, and glory for the victory we have in this life through Christ in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. Praise God. This morning we're going to be discussing uh, the subject of soul winning, and this is our last part of the series, the subject of soul winning, the last part in the series. Actually, I think next week will be the last part because we're going to have Pastor Smiley come, and he's going to be uh, teaching uh, on some personal experiences he's had. Um, I've known him for, let's see, about 50 years. Very, very, one of my very best friends. You're going to be so blessed to be in his meeting next weekend. We'll be here. All right, now, so today our subject is titled, You Have a Story You Cannot Deny. Say that, I have a story I cannot deny. Now, your story consists of three parts. Part one. Your life before you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Your life before, when you talk about this to somebody that doesn't know the Lord, you want to tell them how you lived before you met Christ. Just start talking about that. You know, before, uh, this is the way I used to live. Then, part two, how you became a follower of Jesus. Then you tell them what happened to you, how you met the Lord, the experience you had at that moment in time. And then the third part of your story is what God has done in your life since then, what God has done in my life since I met Jesus, the blessing I've enjoyed by knowing Jesus. Your story is a way you can share the gospel with someone without preaching to them. People sometimes don't like the idea you're preaching to them, but if you share your story of what Jesus has done for you, that doesn't appear to be preaching. And I'll share that particular story of my own here this morning. All right, let's go to Matthew 28, verse 18, verse 19. Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus said to all of us, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. So Jesus is telling us to share our story, to share the gospel 
with everybody and that he is with us as we do. That's Matthew's account of what he said. Now, Mark also uh, has his account. Let's go to Mark 16, verse 15. And then Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone, everywhere. Everyone or anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. It's just that simple. Those who believe in Jesus go to heaven. Those who don't go to hell. That's how it is. It's not big. It's not difficult. It's just a matter of trusting in Jesus. It's not about our good works. It's about trusting in Jesus. He's done it all for us. This is a command. This is called the Great Commission. It's a command for every single believer in Jesus. Now, there are sins of commission and there are sins of omission. Sins of commission are things a Christian does that the Bible says we should not do. Say that. A sin of commission is a sin that we do that the Bible says we should not do. And a sin of omission are things Christians do not do that the Bible says we must do. That's a sin of omission, to omit something that God says we should be doing. And not to share our faith with those who are dying and going to hell is a sin of omission. And that's just as bad as telling a lie or stealing something. If I were to walk past a house that was on fire down the street, and I heard screams coming from inside of the house, I have a few options. One, I might, option number one, I might be a hero and try and go into the fire to save somebody. My second option would be to call 911. My third option could just be to walk by and ignore the screams with no concerns for the people in the fire. Now, unfortunately, option number three, walking by and ignoring the screams, is what the vast majority of Christians are doing in our world today. Because most Christians have never even won one person to Christ in their lifetime. And maybe not even try to share their story with anybody who is about to burn in the fires of hell to rescue them. Not even try to share their story. That's the tragic fact of Christian Christianity today. The Bible says, Jesus said, go into all the world and share the gospel with everybody. What does that mean? Go into all the world means go into our neighborhood. Amen? Go into our neighborhood. It's getting awfully quiet in this Presbyterian church here this morning. (laughs) Go into our workplace. Go into all of our workplace. It means... Go into all of our campuses. 
It means go into all of our families and share the gospel with our families. It means share the gospel of salvation with everybody, everywhere. That's the commission that Jesus gave us before leaving. God's primary way of reaching people is through people. Now, as beautiful as that sign is outside there, which we thank God for, it doesn't win as many people to Jesus as you sitting right here do. Folks sharing their story with other people win many more people to Christ than any other method there is. And the Bible confirms that. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says, But how can they call on Jesus to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? How can they hear about Jesus unless someone tells them? That's the Bible, family. Romans 10, 14. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21 says, Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never find him through human wisdom. The world could never find God through human wisdom. That's true, isn't it? Scientists, they send rockets up into the space and they come back and they say, we didn't find God anyway. No, there's no such thing as God. They can't find God through normal and natural wisdom. And goes on to say, God has used our foolish preaching to save all who believe. He has used our foolish preaching to save all who believe. Now, I didn't say he used our magnificent, skillful preaching. Foolish preaching. In other words, all of us qualify. All of us qualify. Because we're all foolish preachers. <laughs> or not skilled preachers, right? Okay. So anybody can get into this. We should always be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Always be leading, uh, open to his leading. When we're talking to somebody that we don't know or we do know, and you have that little unction inside you that says, share your story, obey that, because God knows that person's open to hear. So go ahead. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 says, Preach the word of God. Be persistent, whether time is favorable or not. How about that? God said, preach the word. Be persistent, whether time is favorable or not. Always be prepared. And 1 Peter 3.15 says, If you are asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Say that, if I am asked, about my Christian hope, I should always be ready to explain it. Amen? Let our light shine. Isn't that so? Now, the Bible records more than 50, uh, 40 examples of how Jesus shared the gospel with individual people. So we follow his example. Jesus was the greatest soul winner of all history. And in the gospels, there are, there are actually more than 40 examples of where Jesus spoke or shared salvation 
with 40 different people in the Gospels. Jesus was always loving when he spoke to these people, but very clear and very direct. And we should follow his example. Our objective is to build bridges with unsaved people, not to burn the bridges down, but to build bridges. Become friends with them, right? Now, in the enthusiasm of some young Christians, and I'm sure you were just like me in my early months of being saved, uh, we overload on some people, and we unfortunately mess things up. We try and show them how much we know about the Bible instead of just sharing our simple story. Be wise. We might win an argument, but lose the soul. We don't want to do that, do we? Our objective is to win them to Christ. That's why Peter the Apostle said we should explain our faith with gentleness and respect. Say that. I need to share my faith with gentleness and respect. Amen. Now, I'd like to share my little story with you this morning in closing up on this series. I was born 1948, April 13th, in Durban, South Africa, right on the beach. The hospital was Addington Hospital and it was right on Addington Beach, that hospital I was born in. And I was born at a very early age. Anyway, <laughs> I thought you should know that. So... Um, I grew up in South Africa, and when I was 11 years old, or actually when I was three years old, they discovered that I had something called nephritis or Bright's disease, or whichever name you, you want to call it. It's where your kidneys, the inside of your kidneys dissolve away, and so you're left with just the shell of the kidney. And... Um, I don't know about today, I'm sure Dr. Sado or Dr. Amen could tell us about today, whether there's a cure for that or not, I don't know. But people who were born with that disease died, didn't live more than 11 years old. Anyway, when I was three years old, I, I got convulsions from this high, very high blood pressure. My blood pressure, my, all my early years, was well over 200, and uh, it rose between 200 and 250. And sometimes I couldn't even walk five paces and I'd have to sit down or I'd fall down. And that's how I grew up in my early years, up till I was 11 years old. But when I was three years old, um, I actually did die. My mother had scars all over her fingers from uh, my early years of putting her hand in my mouth to hold my tongue down. Um, and... Um, I died, and I went to the Lord. I stood before Jesus in heaven in a beautiful garden, and the Lord Jesus said to me, this is not your time. You must go back to the earth. And uh, so I, that's, I, that's why I remember clearly what I saw at that time. And evidently, I told my parents about it. I don't remember telling them about it, but my dad wrote it down. I did not know he wrote that down. So many years later, while I was preaching, I told the story for the first time. And my dad came running to me off the church, and he said to me, I wrote down all of that, and I thought you were hallucinating. We thought you were hallucinating. 
But you mean you actually had that experience? I said, yes, I had that experience. So anyway, um, then I never lived for Christ at all during my, my, my young years. Never lived for Christ at all. And uh, when I was 11, I was dying from, as I said, from this disease. And I went back to Addington Hospital. There were five specialists looking after me who told my parents that I was dying and there's no hope. They couldn't cure it. And um, I was in the special ward and there were men in this ward who were all, it seemed like, termini, terminal, going to die. And somehow I got into discussion. I don't remember the full detail, but I got into discussion with a particular man across the ward from me. And uh, he said something like, you're going to die. Do you know that? Why I said that, I don't know. Maybe God inspired this. He said, you're going to die. But when he said that, something rose up in me. A fight rose up in me. I said, no, I'm not going to die. I said, God is going to heal me. And I, I wasn't, I knew about Jesus. Obviously, I'd seen him. But I wasn't actively serving the Lord in any way. But I just said that. God is going to heal me. And I'm going out of this hospital. And he said, no, God can never heal you. God can't do this. And you don't have enough faith anyway. So I said, no, I do. I believe God is going to heal me. And then he said, well, if you get a broken leg, can God heal your broken leg? I said, yes, if you pray hard enough. And I knew nothing about faith. I just said, yes, if you pray hard enough, which is not really the correct answer. But anyway, um, I said, yes, God is healing me. I'm coming out of this hospital. And a few days later, my grandmother, who was a very strong Christian, and a churchgoer brought her pastor, her Dutch reform minister, to come to me and anoint me with oil and read scriptures to me and prayed over me. Well, the, the specialists came around and they examined me and they said, this is incredible. We can't find any trace of this condition. And they discharged me. So then I went back to my local doctor who first discovered this, um, this condition um, and I said to him, he examined me, and he said, true, you need absolutely no sign of this condition. You're perfectly well, and we don't understand it. It's a miracle. So I said to him, well, I said, am I now allowed to run now? That was my question. Can I run? Because I'd never run before. He said, oh, you can run now. I said, I can actually go outside and run across the yard. Make sure, quite sure I understood, and he understood what I was talking about. And he said, yes, you can go outside and run across the yard. Now, if I try to do that five steps, and I've been on the floor. So I said, okay, fine. And I went home, and I went outside the back door, and I stood and looked at the fence, which is probably from here to that, to that uh, sound desk away. And I said, okay, here it goes. And I began to run. And it felt like I was running in the air. It was an amazing experience. My first run in my life I can remember. And I ran there and I stopped, I looked back and I thought it was so amazing and I ran back and I wasn't tired, nothing. And that began my whole new life. Jesus healed me. I still never served him though. Still never served him. I lived in the world for the devil. Full on. I don't want you to think I lived for Jesus at all. I never did. But he healed me. Then um, my daily routine 
was after coming out of the military, or coming out of the army, I spent a year there, all South Africans had to go to the army. So I came out of the army after a year, and um, I, my day routine was to surf, wake up at 10 o'clock in the morning, surf for a few hours, maybe five hours, then go to the karate club for two hours every day, seven days a week, and then go to my nightclub. I had three nightclubs. I had three discos in uh, different hotels in South Africa, in Durban. And I was the first one to ever have a mobile disco because when I came out the army, I went to work for Barlow's studying electronics and um, I worked in the factory where they, they manufactured uh, televisions and radios and all that. And uh, I was one of the fault fighters as an apprentice of anything that didn't turn on and work properly at the end of the assembly line. So we had to take those broken ones that didn't work for some reason, assemble them correctly and, and find out what the fault was and fix it. And so we all sat on bar stools. We had all these different machines around us and we would test these things and often you'd put your finger in the wrong place and get a shock and you would find yourself on the floor and get up, what am I doing down here? <laughs> You fall off the bar stool <laughs> onto the floor. So anyway, um, I, uh, I decided at that point that I wanted to have my own discos. And so what I did was I actually stole the parts of the amplifiers little by little. I wrapped it up in my, my white coat and took it out of the factory. And sometimes I would wear the coat and strap it to my body and they wouldn't see it. Loudspeakers, everything. So I stole a whole bunch of stuff and I built an amazing big disco for my, my, um, my, my, my traveling mobile disco. And I, I bought this van, uh, Christian, I put it on the front Theo's disco, the back Theo's disco, I painted red with a spray can and then put white letters on the front and back and I stuck flowers all over it. Big purple and, and yellow and green flowers with white pebbles all over this, this van because this was the hippie day, you understand? And I was part of the hippie movement, right? So anyway, and, um, and I'll talk about how I got saved in a moment. But then I got saved, I gave my life to Jesus. So I went back to Barlow's and I had an appointment with the manager of that whole big factory. And I shared my story of salvation with him. I said, I want to come see you. Thank you for the appointment. And I want to come see you and tell you what happened to me. I, um, I gave my life to Jesus. My life's changed. I told him the whole story. And then I said, now, all the equipment I have for my discos, I stole from your factory. And I said, it's a lot of money. And I said, I know exactly how much it is. And so I said, here it is. And I gave him all this money back. Cash on the table. And he was shocked. And then afterwards he says to me, I really enjoyed hearing your story about Jesus and how he changed your life. Thank you for sharing that. And I spent about an hour with this guy. He was intrigued with me. Then he says to me, you know what, I have a gift for you. 
I said, really? He says, yes, yeah, here's the gift. And he gave me the money back that I gave him. I said, I don't want that. He says, now that you've got it, it's a gift. I'm giving it back to you. So all the disco equipment cost me nothing. I just want you to know that. <laughs> and that's the last time I stole anything, praise the Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for changing my life. Amen. Anyway, when I was 23 years old, um, one of my surfing friends told me, often he'd talk about his mother going to a particular church. And uh, he told me that his mother was crazy, that in their church they'd swing from the chandeliers. And uh, just like we do here, right? And um, so, <laughs> so, and then, uh, then one day he said to me, you know, something happened in my mother's church last night. He said, a little girl... Uh, they testified that the doctor said they prayed for her and the, the, the pastor prayed for this little girl had cancer of the brain. And then the little girl was healed, pronounced healed. Um, the doctor said that there's no evidence of the cancer that's all gone and has to forget and all that. And they read this out in the church. And that, to me, was a, a tremendous shock because I always imagined Christianity to be a religious practice, you know, and and no life in it at all. And so when he said that to me, I said, Kelly, I said, you and I are going to go to that church this weekend. And he said, you're kidding me. I said, no, we're going. And I rounded up a whole bunch of my friends. That little bus only seated about 15 people, about 12 people. I had about 15 hanging out the windows. And then I had one of my mobile discos in there, and I had these huge, big loudspeakers in the back of the bus and I was playing Grand Funk Railroad really loud I don't know if you've ever driven past a car and your car begins to shake as the music's playing next to the car next to you well everything around us was shaking as I drove down the road Grand Funk Railroad and I pulled up at the church and in front of the church it was only a small little area but the whole lot of people standing outside the church talking fellowshipping you know and I pulled up with this bus, flowers all over it, the music playing. And we started piling out. Doors all open. We started piling out like never ending. And I kept the music going. I didn't turn it off. The last thing I did was reach in, turn off the music and close the door. <laughs> By this time, no one was talking. They were all looking at us. They couldn't talk anyhow. So anyway, they very kindly took us to the front row of the church. Wasn't that nice then? So we couldn't escape. Anyway, and the preacher preached a very powerful message. And um, I want to just back up, rewind a little bit and say this. My whole life before I became a Christian, I had this emptiness in my heart, which I couldn't put my finger on. Emptiness, loneliness, sadness. I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't get rid of it. I thought maybe parties, uh, maybe winning sports, maybe doing well in something, or maybe um, having a girlfriend. Nightclubs would take all that away, but nothing ever satisfied. Nothing did. And then in that chair, when I put my hand up and accepted Christ as my Savior and prayed the salvation prayer with the pastor, 
It's so difficult to explain what happened. This burden rolled away. The peace that filled my heart. The love of God that filled my heart. And I just realized, it dawned on me right there, that everything I'd ever searched for in life, I had now found out by accident, didn't know it was all wrapped up in Jesus, and my whole life was going to change. And I was desperately going to hang on to what I'd just received, and nothing else was going to stop me in life from keeping what I'd just gained. And so I got up, and I went to the prayer room with all those accepted Christ, and I knelt down in the prayer room and prayed to the man called Willie Conradi. And Willie said to me, after he prayed with me, he said, Now, Tuesday night we have Bible study. Can you make it? I said, Yes. Thursday night we have prayer meeting. Can you make it? I said, Yes. He said, Friday night we have youth meeting. Can you make it? I said, Yes. He said, Sunday morning we have the believer service. Can you make that? I said, Yes. He said, Sunday night we have an outreach service. Can you make that? I said, Yes. And he said, One more thing. Will he tithe? I said, what's that? He said, 10% of all you earn comes to God. Bring your money here to this church and tithe. I said, fine. And I did it from then until now. Much more than 10%. But anyway, so my whole life changed. And then about a year after I was saved, I went to a particular church to hear a speaker. And uh, the pastor of the church after the service said to me, would you take the speaker to the airport for me. And I said, with pleasure, it be an honor. So I was driving to the airport with the man, and he said to me, we're so early, I don't want to sit in the airport doing nothing, why are we going to have a meal? Is there a place where we can eat? So I took him, we're sitting at a restaurant eating, and uh, I said to him, I said, you know, from the day I became a Christian, I knew God had called me to the full-time ministry. And I said, what must I do to bring that to pass? He said, what you have to do is get involved. Do anything you can serving in the house of God. He said, nobody can steer a ship if the ship, the ocean liner, is tied up at the dock. You've got to take the boat out of the harbor and keep going and once you're sailing, you can start steering that ship to the next destination. And likewise, if you will start getting active in church, you will uh, be, uh, God will be able to steer your life into the full-time ministry, one step at a time. So I volunteered to be a leader in the youth, and I became one of the youth leaders. I volunteered to be on the men's committee, and I was voted in on the men's committee. I volunteered to be a deacon. I became a deacon. Anything that happened in church, I volunteered to be involved in it, and I did. I got voted in. And I want to recommend to you, if you want to allow God to use you in this life, you can sign up at the growth track today. Today, right off the church or next week. Do growth track, and then you'll see a whole world of opportunities where you can serve. you identify your talents and skills and God will be able to use you in a wonderful way. So anyway, now, after giving my life to Jesus that, that, that Sunday morning, a Sunday night, I went to see the pastor of the church the same, same night, right after the service. I knocked on the door. He said, come on in to his office. I said to him, 
Pastor George, I said, something happened to me. I accepted Jesus tonight, and something happened to me. I said, I am a professional entertainer. Maybe you can show the picture on the screen of me in my early disco days. That's me miming to some songs there. You can take it away now. That person's dead anyway. So <laughs> he was buried in the waters of baptism. So anyway, um, so I said to him, I'm an entertainer. That's what I do for a living. And I said, but something's happened. I just feel like I can't do this anymore. No one told me not to do it. I just said to him, I feel like I can't do it. He said, why is that? So I said, well, because I, I'm in this hotel. It was a big living, a big lounge area, like this room here. And uh, it was empty, nothing in it. No one used to go there. And I went to the owner of the hotel and I said, can I use this facility to turn it into a nightclub and then I'll take the money at the gate and you can make all the bar money. And he said, fine, we'll try that. Well, it was packed out. They made so much money they couldn't believe it. And uh, we signed a six-month contract. And now the next day, the Monday, I could say Sunday night, the Monday, I've got to go and sign a three-year contract. They want me to sign a three-year contract with him. So um, I said to him, I've got to sign a three-year contract tomorrow. I just don't feel good about it. I said, because I, I'm inviting all these people to drink alcohol and get drunk and all that. I just, I just don't feel good about it. He says, well, he says, you're right. You shouldn't do it. Don't sign the contract. So I said, well, what am I do for a living? He said, well, go and find a job selling in sales. So I said, thank you. I'll do that. Anyway. The next day I had a meeting with this owner of the hotel, the Rivera Hotel on the Esplanade, and I told him my story, how I accepted Jesus, my Savior, and now I couldn't do this. I don't know why. I knew nothing about the Bible. So he said to me, you know what, son? He says, you're doing a good Christian work by having these people here. You're keeping the young people off the streets. You know how dangerous it is on the streets. So you're keeping the people here where they're safe, in a safe environment. It's a good Christian thing you're doing. Isn't that so sweet of him? So I said to him, you know, sir, I just don't feel like I can do it. I don't know why. I can't sign this contract. So anyway, after an hour of trying to persuade me, I didn't sign it. Then I left, and I went to my record shop, and I went and paid up my account, I didn't need any more of those rock and roll records. And then I went to a Bible bookstore. And um, I went, and then I, I have my trick. I had my graduate from high school, grade 12. I was educated enough to be able to read a book and read a Bible, all right? So I went, and I said, I want a Bible, and I want one with pictures. <laughs> so I can easily understand it. And they said, fine. And they gave me one called Good News for Modern Man, soft cover Bible. Good News for Modern Man. Every page had a cartoon drawing on it explaining what was being said. I thought, that's exactly what I need. Okay, so I bought that. Good News for Modern Man, all the pictures. 
Okay, I have progressed just a little bit from then until now. I don't use that one anymore. Anyhow, so um, I bought that Bible and I went straight to my apartment with it. And I began to read it. And I was so excited about reading this Bible, I did not want to go to my nightclub that night. I thought, I just don't care what happens to my disco. Uh, you know, people are going to rise. I want to pay. Crowds are coming. I don't care. The money, I want to pay money. I don't care. I'm sitting at home reading my Bible. So all my friends go, and they start taking the money at the gate to the people, and they start playing the music. They don't know what they're doing, but they start playing the music. And I, um, I'm just sitting there reading my Bible. That's Monday night. Tuesday morning, I wake up. I don't read my Bible. And I'm reading my Bible. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And I go all the way through. By Thursday night, uh, there's a knock on my door. My brother. Now, Henry was three years younger than me. I'm 23 at this age, at this time. And my brother's 20. So he comes in. He's a very smart Alec kind of guy. He came first in the state university. And uh, he had a real opinion about himself. So he comes in there. He says, where have you been? I said, I've been here. He said, doing what? I said, reading my Bible. What? Reading your Bible? For four days? I said, yes. I'm reading my Bible for four days. He said, have you lost your mind? He says, you know, we're running the disco for you every night. We've been taking the money. We've been managing things for you. And uh, you didn't tell us where you are. Nothing. Well, I'm fine. I'm here. I'm just reading my Bible. <laughs> I would never, ever miss one night. Now I haven't missed, I haven't been for four nights in a row. So he says to me, what happened to you? So I said, well, I went to church that night and I got saved. He says, saved from what? <laughs> so I, said, I said, I'm going to heaven. He says, going to heaven? <laughs> when are you going to heaven? He says, well, I said, well, when I die. He says, so what are you going to do when you get to heaven? Now, I remember seeing a religious book somewhere. And um, on the inside, the first page, there was this picture of a hand-drawn green apple tree with red apples on it and a hand-drawn lion lying underneath the tree and a little boy giving red apples to this lion to eat. And it was a religious book, right? So I immediately remembered that book, and I thought, well, that's what we do in heaven. So I said to him, when I get to heaven, I'm going to give red apples to the lions. <laughs> and I meant it. I meant that's what I'm going to do, just like the little boy. I'm going to give red apples to the lions. That's how much I knew about the Bible, okay? So Henry says to me, he says, look, I tell you what, don't go anywhere. Don't leave this apartment. Stay right here. And I'm going to get some of our friends. We're going to come back tomorrow night. We have a little chat, okay? Don't move. Don't, don't stay. Go, don't go anywhere. I said, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here. I said, good, good. The next night, gee, the room was packed out with my friends. I come to talk to you. We don't want to upset you. We just want to help you. We're going to find out what happened to you. We're going to fix this problem. <laughs> <laughs> and they were trying to suck on me, you know. It's like the blind leading the blind, eh? So anyway, but they didn't succeed. Actually, every one of those people got saved. <laughs> they all got saved. So, 
They couldn't help me. I said to him, I don't care what happens to this guy. I said, pack it up, give the stuff away, give the music away, give this, the sound system away. I don't care what happens to it. So they thought I totally lost it. And my brother said to me, he says, listen, he says, I don't think we should be talking again. I don't think we should hang out anymore. You stay away from me. You're scared this is contagious. So and then about two or three weeks went by and I went and knocked, because Henry and Graham, one of my surfing buddies, lived together. So I knocked on Graham's door and I said, well, Henry lived there too. So I knocked on the door and I said, Graham, I said, do you really think I've lost my mind? He said, yes. We're very concerned. I'm standing at his door, right? Henry is not in. I said, would you try and help me if you could? He said, yes. I said, look, why don't you come to church with me tonight? And if you look at this whole thing and say, I'm nuts and it's all nuts, I'll leave. I won't go back. Okay? And I meant that. But I was so confident he was going to get saved. So I had a bus full of people downstairs. They didn't know where they were going. <laughs> I just told them I'm taking you someplace really special. Okay, good, let's go. So anyway, um, he says, okay, fine, I'll come, I'll, I'll rescue you. So he gets in the bus, we go to church. And he gets gloriously saved. Then my brother comes to see me in my apartment. He says, you have made Graham Patterson like you. You have messed up my apartment. Now, he's preaching to me right in my apartment. You never come around to my house again. Never. Okay. About three, four weeks went by, and I was being baptized. So we knocked on Henry's door, my brother. And I said, Henry, I said, what are you doing? I told you never come see me. I said, look, I, I know I told you never come see me, but just this one time, I want you to come to church and see I'm being baptized tonight. He said, what's that? I said, well, they've got a swimming pool on the platform. And during the church service, they're going to put me in the water with my clothes on. And then they're going to take me out. They're not going to leave me in the water. They're going to take me out. He says, in the church service, they're going to I said, yes, on the platform. And they'll put you in the water. Their clothes on. I said, yes. He says, okay, I've got to come see this. So he, <laughs> he and his girlfriend come to church that night. They're sitting upstairs in the back row, okay, against the wall. I mean, if they could sit outside, they would. But anyway, so now, after he preached the sermon, the pastor on the Sunday night would pray for people who needed prayer. And he was laying hands on the sick. He just, sits, he just stands in one place, and they come line up, and he prays for them one at a time. And some of them were falling down on the floor, getting healed. And my brother, I didn't know about this. My brother says to his girlfriend, Jackie, he says, those people all acting down there, falling on the floor. He says, that's a big act. It's a show to try and con us all. He says, I'm going to go down there and prove it. Watch this. <laughs> so he goes and he gets in that line. He says, okay, we'll see. And he goes, goes, keeps going, keeps going. I look up and I see my brother in the line. I think, what happened to Henry? What's he doing in the line? <laughs> anyway, I'm sitting in the front row. 
So, next minute, he prays for Henry, and he falls out on the floor. And I thought, are you acting? And he starts rolling around the floor, backwards and forwards, and he's screaming out in other tongues, holding his stomach. He's praying out aloud in his heavenly prayer language. And I thought, I'm, I'm seeing things. Anyway, he, did go, he got gloriously saved. Power of God hit him, and he was for real. Gave his life to Jesus, got full of the Holy Ghost right there. And then he got baptized with me that night. And, and today, he's still in the ministry. He started, went to the ministry six months after we did, and, and he's still in ministry today. He has a church in California. So praise God. There's a lot more I can share with you, but we're out of time. But that's a little bit of my story. Remember, you have a story that you can't deny and no one can refute. Tell your story. People love to hear your story, and they will listen and accept Christ as their Savior. Amen? So that's the end of our series on soul winning. I hope it inspires you, at least makes you aware of those that don't know Jesus around you. And you have got something very special to give to the lost world around you. Amen?